Hey, this is a special skateboard right here. This is my board. Uh, I, I've given away a lot of other boards. I have a bunch of boards, but this board, you don't even have to push, man. You can just kind of pump it, and you can take this board, and look how tight it turns you can make on this board. You can just go, watch this, man. Move your foot right here. Just straight through here. And uh, this is a special board. Uh, and there's not a lot of boards like it. Whenever anybody rides this board for the first time today, Tom, uh, Rockshop Tom rode the board. And what did you say, Tom? Gotta have one. Gotta have one, man. I can't tell you. Terry's getting ready to build one for his wife, Fernanda, this, uh, this afternoon that's similar, but it's not the same. And he wanted to build one actually for his daughter that was just like this, but he couldn't quite build one exactly like it because this is a very unique board. And uh, I just don't even know what makes it so special. Um, you, you can't even get trucks that are broken in like this anymore. You can't have this special little design on this board. The little he is greater than me, than I bore, uh, design on there. You can't, the, the bearings are so broken. These wheels are perfect for bombing the courthouse parking garage. Wait a minute, that didn't sound right, did it? Uh, in skateboarding, when you're like riding a parking garage or, or a hill, it's called bombing. And there happens to be in Fort Pierce a skateboard. There happened, yeah, it happened, yeah, sh bam, until we land, right, at our age, and then we might get up again. Um, fortunately, at the parking garage at the courthouse, there's an elevator, so we bomb that garage at night, and then we ride the elevator up until a police officer usually kind of says, all right, boys, you got to find another place to ride. And then we do, but... Uh, Anyways, this is a special, special board. Tom, you were riding it earlier, man, and um, I'm going to give you the opportunity to ride it again, all right, right now. And um, so I'd like you to just uh, hang on, man. Go ahead and uh, take this board and uh, here you go. Go ahead and ride that board. Do you want to ride it? Um, not really. No. Why doesn't he want to ride this board now, Jack? Okay, all right, hang on, hang on. All right, I'll tell you what. I'll put this back on. Hang on. And uh, we'll, we'll get this. Well, it's sort of on. Do you want to ride it now? Not really. Not yet? Okay. Maybe I can get this wheel completely on again here. Um, yeah, it's just not going to happen. But I'll get the wheel on for Okay, here, the wheel's on again. Uh-huh. Okay, but I'm just going to keep this little nut off. And you want to ride it without that nut on there? Not really. And so you're telling me all the components that make up this board, you're not going to ride it because it's missing one little nut. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. It's missing one little nut. And so it makes the board unrideable. How many of y'all would consider yourself one little nut? <laughs> would you consider yourself one little nut? How, all right, so for the people who didn't raise their hand, would you point to somebody who's the one little nut that, that they didn't want to admit that? Yeah. Yeah, Susie definitely is one little nut. All right, so... But, but in that, it's amazing how that one little nut is so important. But yet, each of us, we're one little nut. And, and we don't consider ourselves that important. The little job that maybe God has given us, we don't consider it that important. But it takes every, every component to make this skateboard that special. He does tell us we're part of the body of Christ. And, um, but even for the Messiah to be able to come from... Man, Genesis, all the way up until the Messiah came, man, it was, every little nut had to fall in place. And so today we're going to continue our series in um, 
the, the book of Acts. And what we're getting ready to hit now is, if you remember a couple, three, like four, three weeks ago, last time I got to preach here, uh, God, let me preach here. Um, what had happened was they asked Paul. They said, they said to Paul, the apostle Paul, uh, they said, do you have something to say? And what do you think he had to say? Absolutely. He stood up and he said, now listen to me. It even talks about how he used his hands and said, now listen to what I have to say. And what goes on to happen in the rest of this chapter is the longest recorded message of the Apostle Paul. I am not going to do that to you today and, re and, and explain Paul's longest message. But I think we're going to take little pieces. And I know that what God wants us to look at today is really just the first part. Because here's the context of Paul's message. He's now preaching to people who don't know Jesus, but they're Jews and they're people who wanted to be Jews and they wanted the God relationship, but they didn't have Christ. And so without Christ, they couldn't be saved. And he's in his home area of Antioch and he's he's on his first missionary journey. And so he gets up to preach and what he's going to preach to them is he's going to show them how from Moses and through uh, David and all the way through that the. the the, the story has always been about Jesus. What he's going to show them is that without Jesus, you're lost. And how, you know, he's, they're worried about him introducing a new God. He's like, no, no new God. From the very beginning, God's plan was Jesus. And I'm going to show you how that happens. And so today, we're going to just look at the first part where he talks about Moses and their exile. But we're going to go back even further into, into the story of Joseph to see how man, one little nut, makes it complete. And you are a big, even though you think you're a little part, you're a little something, you are part of something way bigger than you. How many of you know you're part of something way bigger than you? You have no idea the impact you make in your neighborhood, in your family. You have no idea the impact you make. How many of you ever had somebody come out of the blue and just tell you that you made an impact in their life and you had no clue? Now imagine all the people you made a bad impact on. No, I'm just joking, but, but seriously, you have no clue how God is using you. So JJ, can I have that first screen up there real quick? And this is really what I want you to remember today out of this little section. Of course, if the Holy Spirit gives you something more personal, definitely take this. But I do believe this is the main point that God wants you to get out of this. Read this with me. You, oh, let's just say I, I, I. Let's start with I am an important part of something way bigger than me. I'm an important part of something way bigger than me. And we have no clue of what that is. But we'll never know unless we uh, become a part of that, unless we do in obedience what God has called us to do. So, J.J., let's see the one verse, Terry, one verse I think that we're going to look at, all right? But you know what one verse means, right? It just, you know, we're, we're actually going to cover chapters of the Bible, but we'll see. The God, so Paul now gets invited to speak. So he gets up and he says, listen, my brothers and those of you who are wanting to be Jews, I've got something important to tell you. And so he starts off by saying, the God of this nation of Israel, Jehovah God, he chose our ancestors. What does it mean when you choose something? You select it. You pick it. You're adopted, right? Yep. Yeah, and you know what? In the, in the Roman culture, if you were adopted, they could never get rid of you. They could disown regular kids, right? You know, but if you adopted one, you could never get rid of it because you chose it. 
And we are chosen by God. If you were born again, you are chosen by God. And I'm not getting into the whole, all this. I'm just telling you, if you are, how many of y'all are born again? You know that you're going to heaven when you die because you've got Jesus. He gave you the desire and ability to surrender your life to him. You are chosen. He picked you. Now, how many of you say, well, you're darn right he did because, you know, look at me. <laughs> Anybody here? <laughs> yeah, you guys know better than that. We didn't deserve to be chosen. He chose us by grace. He chose us because he loved us. And, and, and really, he, got, he didn't get a great deal on us, did he? But he chose us. And one day we're going to be like him. But he says, the God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors. So why did he choose Israel? Why did God pick Israel over some other nation? Was it because they were better than anybody? They were better looking? No, in fact, you know who God usually chooses is the most least like the least likely, the scrawniest nation, the one so that when something happens that's so supernatural, only he can get blamed for it. You know, he likes to choose things that will will listen and he can do things through them and then he can get all the credit and all the glory and all the honor. So it says he God chose the nation of Israel, our ancestors. And look at this, made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. Carl, you remember studying that, right, in our, in our small group? And he said, then with a powerful arm, he led them out of slavery. That's our only verse today, right? Okay, so let's see where we get to this point. Paul starts bringing it up and saying, I want you to go back here and see. I'm not introducing a new God. Jesus was the plan from all the way back in the exile. So how did even Israel get to Egypt? You guys remember a guy named Joseph? Anybody remember a guy named Joseph? Okay, Joseph was the youngest of how many brothers? How many did he have? Twelve. Well, overall there was twelve, but at that point there was only there were ten others. Him made eleven because his little brother wasn't even born at that point. And so, how many wives were there? And who was his dad? Who was Joseph's dad? Jacob, right? Okay, Jacob was the dad, and and who was his mom? Okay, Rachel, right? And so Jacob and Rachel, all right, but Rachel wasn't the only woman on the scene, was she? How many, how many moms were there in, Rachel, in, in Jacob's family? He had four wives. <laughs> what do you think about that, Tom? What do you think about that, Terry? <laughs> Your wife's not here. What do you think about that? <laughs> Dude, how many of y'all think one wife's enough? Yes, and you, for both reasons, you better. Yeah, they just got married. Last time they were here, they weren't married. I'm so glad to see you, Ben and Melissa. And, uh, and, and you know what he said? He said, I love married life, man. That's awesome. Y'all give it up for them for being Because you're doing it right, man. But, yeah, that was a good answer for you to say one wife is enough. But, but how many of you absolutely know one wife is enough? <laughs> yeah, it goes both ways. You know, he had four women in his life, and, 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 and he had 12 kids eventually. At this point, he had 11 kids, but only one of them was with the woman that he really loved. Do you remember how that all happened? Is he came and he fell in love with Rachel. Oh, the woman of my dreams. And he was ready to marry her. And he was ready to do anything he could for Rachel. And her, her dad, who was a shyster, basically said his name was Laban. And you remember what he said? He said, oh, yeah, work seven years and I'll give you my beautiful daughter, Rachel. So he's like, all right. I mean, wouldn't that be romantic if he worked seven years for you? I mean, how long did JJ have to work for you? Like four, right? You know, something like, yeah, no, but when, I mean, seven years, right? You know, seven years he had to work hard labor. And so it's the wedding day and he's like, yeah, 
He's all stoked. He's ready. Yes, now now pronounce you man and wife. You may kiss the bride, but they didn't do that. They went back off to a little room and they really consummated things. And so he said, yes, I do. Yes, I will. I'll forever. And then he gets back in the little room. It's dark and he did everything he's supposed to do. Woke up and guess who was there? Oh, the ugly stepsister, Leah. Yeah. It was like, oh, no, you did not do that to me. He got tricked into marrying, the, uh, and I'm just saying ugly compared to Rachel because that was the love of his life. But, you know, I think I would have been a little more careful in checking things out. Evidently, he wasn't. So now he's married to, now he's married to Leah, and he's like going to Laban. Would you be, how many of y'all be ticked off, Jack? You guys are fixing to get married, right? All right. You may, you've already made all the vows. You may kiss the bride, and you lift the veil, and it ain't destiny. What would you be doing? <laughs> run it, it probably killed me for for hooking that up so that's what how he felt towards Laban. he's like why how could you do that to me and he said I, there was no other way i could do you look at would you look at this girl you just married there's no other way we were going to get her married off i don't care how many cows i gave it's like there it is so i'll tell you what you can marry rachel but give leah her week of marriage and and i'll give you the wife that you really want and then you're going to have to work seven more years. I'll give her to you in a week, but then you've got to work seven more years. So what does Jacob say? Yes. Oh, yes. All I want is the woman of my dreams. And we'll work everything else out. Well, through jealousy, there were a lot of baby mamas, and, and he was only baby daddy in the whole thing. And so bottom line is they have baby wars. They're all having, you know, somebody can't have a baby. Oh, here, take my handmaiden and have babies through her. That counts for me. And so it ends up with 11 Total 12 kids eventually and four moms in this whole deal. How many of y'all want to live in a household like that? Can you imagine the tension? And, and could God use something so broken and so messed up? I mean, doesn't it have to be better than that for God to use? Can God use that brokenness? So let me ask you a question. Can he use the brokenness in your life? Can he use the brokenness in your life? Man, Terry, can you use the brokenness in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's the only reason you're sitting next to that woman and you'd be the first one to admit that, man. What an awesome testimony. One day he's going to share it with us. Or they will. <laughs> right? Aren't you, Fernanda? One day? One day. The brokenness. So you may be sitting there saying, my life's so broken. Dude, I want you to know the Messiah. That's how God started bringing the Messiah into the world through that brokenness. And you can read the rest of the story, but I'm going to tell you about Joseph. So what happens is Joseph's the youngest, and who's Jacob's favorite? Joseph, because he's the only offspring of the woman that he really loves. The other three, yeah, whatever, I had to take these. This was, you know what, I'm not saying no to this other woman and all this. And he's like, this is the one I really love because he's Rachel's baby. And so he shows some favoritism. What did he give Joseph that he didn't give anybody else, remember? A coat of many colors. Dude, these guys are wearing croaker sacks, man, and Joseph's wearing a kingly thing. So what do you think the family dynamics were like at that point? You know? Uh, oh, you're my only kid here now, and what do they always think you are? They always think you're the favorite, right? You know? So, uh, but, yeah, so if, if there is a favorite, there's a little, a little tension in all of that. Now, you really weren't the favorite. Well, yeah, you are. Now that they're not here, we'll tell you are. But <laughs> they're probably watching live right now. <laughs> I love you all <laughs> in your own way. <laughs> but there was tension, and they wanted to kill Joseph. 
So, you know, I don't know how Joseph was. Joseph might have been cocky and, hey, look at me, man. You know, he's got a little pimp cup and he's just walking around. I mean, he might have been all fancy. and But Joseph may have been just a really humble guy. And we probably can assume he was from the rest of his life. So Joseph was just trying to live the life he was given of favoritism at this point. And Joseph's walking around and Joseph was obedient to his parents. And so as Joseph's going through life, all of a sudden God gives Joseph a dream, doesn't he? And do you remember the dream? The first dream he got? What was it? Help me out. What do you got, Ellie? Oh, no, no, it's for the cows. Yeah, he said, he comes to his dad and his brother says, hey, guys, I had a dream last night. Oh, yeah, what's your dream? Well, we were picking sheaves and we picked grain and, and we wrapped them up and all of yours bowed down to me. <laughs> I don't know that I would have shared that with him. He might not have been the wisest guy, but he was just kind of that dumb, innocent, obedient guy to God. And, and so he said, I'm going to rule over you one day. And how do you think his brothers took to that? Oh, dude, he's just making it worse. And then he has another dream. And what's the next dream? It, there's stars and moon, and they are going to bow down to even his mom and dad are going to bow down to him. And his dad now is like, whoa, wait a minute, boy. <laughs> you know what? You can't take me just yet. And so there they are, you know, and, and God gave him those dreams. Why would God give him those dreams? They defend the nation. Yeah. Do you know what God's plan? The Messiah was going to come out of the answer to those dreams. Why would he give them to Joseph? So Joseph could remember his special calling. He didn't know what all that meant. He just knew God had something special in store for him. And so that kept him going the whole time because what happens next? His brothers are out tending sheep in lower Alabama. They were in Dothan. And um, maybe that was Jerusalem somewhere in that area. But anyways, it was Dothan. And so they're tending sheep out there somewhere. And, um, and his father says, hey, why don't you go check to see how they're doing? And why don't you bring him some lunch? So what does he do? He goes and brings him lunch. And he has no ill will, no feelings. And all of a sudden, his brother saw him coming, and what did his brother say? Yeah, here comes the dreamer. You know what? Let's see how good his dreams are when we kill him. Huh. We'll, we'll kill him. We'll knock him out. But let me ask you a question. If God had plans for him to bring the Messiah, bring him into Egypt through that, and, and then have the Messiah come and everything, was God going to allow him to be killed? Yep. No. If it's your time to go, there ain't no army in the world that can take you, uh, that, that can protect you. But if it's not your time to go, no army in the world can take you out. And if you do go, believers, where are you going? Heaven. Heaven. You're going to be with God forever. And I don't know anybody who's going to think that's a bad gig when they get there. But we're so in love with this world that we miss that sometimes. But Joseph, man, I think he was just a godly young man that wanted to obey God no matter what. So Joseph's out there. Oh, you're here, brothers who hate me. Here's your lunch. We're out in the middle of nowhere. Uh, you know, I'm trusting. And so what do his brothers do? They grab him and they threw him in a pit and they were going to figure out how to kill him later. But did they get to kill him? No, because oldest brother didn't allow him to be killed. Why didn't oldest brother allow him to be killed? Yeah, okay. But, but the older brother, Carl, why didn't the older brother allow the younger brothers to kill him? Because who was... Yeah, because he was going to be responsible. <laughs> and uh, you, you ever get in trouble for stuff your little sister does? Are you responsible? You know, what are you thinking, Elena, letting her do that, right? What are you thinking, guys, letting him kill jo Joseph? <laughs> but he didn't want to get in trouble, so he's trying to think about what is. But in the meantime, what happens? They see a caravan of median uh, traders come. 
and they sell him into slavery. Now, first of all, imagine yourself as Joseph. You have this dream, and you think God is going to do great and mighty things through you. And then all of a sudden, now you're in the bottom of a pit. All of a sudden, you're screaming with everything you had. Brothers, don't do this. Don't do this. I mean, you're terrified. How many of y'all be, would you be terrified if Matt and Emily knew, you knew they hated you and they tied you up with duct tape and threw you in the bottom of a pit? Would you scream? Would you cry? Would you lose sight of what you know God has in store for you, possibly? Yeah. Isn't that what happens sometimes when things get tough, things get rough? We lose sight. But it's in the mud where we grow, and that's where God accomplishes things through those tough times and in all of that. And so Joseph, I think he was screaming like a baby. And, and I don't think he was like, oh, well, let's just see what the Holy Spirit of God's going to do in this. I don't think he was there yet as a teenage boy. And he gets sold into slavery, and it just so happens. Who bought him? You remember? Potiphar, who was the head of the army. So do you think that was an accident that God had the head of the army be in charge of Joseph and buy him? No, anybody could have bought him, but God ordained that. So how about you? You thought you were going to rule of your parents, rule of your brother. Now you're a slave in some guy's house in a foreign country. What do you think about that, Linda? You think you'd have lost some hope? You think he said, God, I, I gave you everything and you just let me down. But did God let Joseph down? No, he was just on that journey to being where he needed to be. Joseph was that little nut that need, was needed to complete things to get Israel into Egypt. And you'll see that. So Joseph, man, he's now a slave in Potter's house, right? And, and, and Potiphar's house. And, and what does he do? Does he just say, well, you know what? I'm a slave. I'm going to die. You know, woe is me. And he was lazy. He was no good. Didn't do anything. What did Joseph do? He did the best he could with what he had, where he was at. That's what this whole thing means, right? That's what this whole Shaka thing is. It's, it's doing the best you can with what you got, where you're at. We don't make waves as surfers. We ride them. And if God decides to throw you into slavery, man, be the best slave you can be. Because he's got a purpose. The master of the lampstand puts the lamp where he wants it. Do you know you're exactly where God wants you right now? How many of y'all like be somewhere else? You're like, well, yeah, in about 10 minutes, I won't be at lunch, but <laughs> you're not. He put you here. <laughs> but, but seriously, we're where God wants us. And Joseph got that. There was no prestige, no pride, you know, of, well, I should be doing, I used to have this royal, you know what? He wasn't living in the past to where he was and what he was doing. He was living where God wanted him right now. And there's no accident wherever we are and whatever we're doing it's God who's in charge of that, and he's put us there. And we've got to see it from God's perspective because we're going to have to help other people see it from that perspective too, right? So in this situation, Joseph again, okay, he's in Potiphar's house. Now what happens next? Potiphar being head of the military, do you think his wife was good looking or not so good looking? Yeah, dude. I mean, he had money. He had everything. So, man, you know, you, you ever seen the ugly dude with the real good looking lady on, in the mall? You know what I'm talking about? You know, wherever it's like, yeah, there's. Yeah, Terry, I wasn't going to like pick you out, right? Because you're a pretty good looking guy. All right. But all of us guys marry out of our league. Is that not true, Zane? We marry way out of our league. I don't know what's wrong with you girls, but I sure am glad God does do that. And, uh, and, and, and I don't know why you marry down, but you just always do. And I'm grateful my wife did it too. So, but in this, Potiphar had a good looking wife. Man, and, 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 but she wasn't really good looking on the inside because what, 
was she trying to do with Joseph? She saw this hot little young teenage boy in her house, and what was she trying to do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm the master's wife. You're a servant. You'll do whatever I want. You'll keep your mouth shut. And I'll, you know, she was, a little, she was the original cougar. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That was her. She's, she's there. She could do, have anything she wanted. And what's this poor little Jewish slave boy going to do? What's he going to resist me? Does he know what I could do to him? He's going to resist me? How many of you would have just done it? Well, I'm not even going to ask that question. <laughs> because you were scared not to. I'm not going to say because you wanted to. But, you know, ask a teenage boy. But... Think about a teenage boy being driven by hormones. <laughs> and this good-looking woman is after him every day. But what did he say? What was his response? I can't sin against God, can't sin against God or your husband. <laughs> he was willing to do the right thing, man, even if it hurt. It didn't matter about the political gain, the political loss, the whatever. And so guess what? Time and time again, he refused her. And one day he's in there, and evidently all he really wore was a tunic. So maybe he should have put more clothes on. I don't know. But he's in there, and he's all buff, and he's doing his stuff. And, and all of a sudden, she, he, she, he rejects her again. And so she grabs him. Surely if I put my hands on him, he's not going to reject me. And she grabbed him, and he ran. But when he ran, what happened? He, he ran out the house naked. <laughs> yes, he ran out naked, and, but it didn't matter to him. No, because he was doing what he believed God wanted him to do. And he knew ahead of time what Jesus said in Matthew 6, that if you seek first, seek only, seek always the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything you need will be added to you. You'll be protected. You'll be provided for. You'll have direction, even though it looks like a hopeless thing. Zane, running out the door naked. How, how much hope you got right there, bro? Yeah, you're like, awesome. This, uh, I'm not sure I'm in the center of God's will right now. And, you know, and I mean, seriously, think about these things. That's where he's at. And, but yet he knows to stay there and do what she wanted was wrong. He would sin against God. She probably told him, nobody will know. Nobody will know. Nobody will know. And he said, but God will know. He said, I ain't doing it. I don't care what happens. So what did happen? She was embarrassed. She then accused him and said, look what this Hebrew slave did. And she came home and told Potiphar a lie. Now Potiphar, he kind of knew Joseph's character because he'd put him in charge of everything, right? Because of his character. But his wife said something else. And so whose side did he have to take? His wife's side. Because he's probably chicken to stand up for the truth, unlike Joseph. But guess what was God's plan? God's plan was going right along as usual. We have free will to make our decisions and stuff, but God's plan is not going to be hindered by anybody. And so what happened is Joseph ran out of the house naked. Next thing you know, he's in trouble. He's accused. And what's he going to say? He's out there naked and they arrest him and you just tried to rape Potiphar's wife. It's like, well, I guess I don't have much to say. And they threw him where? in prison. But guess what? What did Joseph, did he give up on God at that point? Did he say, man, forget this God. All right. First of all, you gave me a dream. My brothers hated me. I'm away from home. I got thrown in a pit. I mean, I could have died being thrown in a pit. Now I got sold into slavery. I did the best I could. When do you say is enough is enough with God? When do you say enough's enough and you quit? When? Yeah. Because it's never enough. 
When we surrender to somebody, what does that word surrender mean? We give it up. If, if we're the slave, and I know that term's not popular, but the word servant in the King James and New King James in our term, it, it, it really means slave. Third level galley slave. If we're the slave and he's the master, who calls the shots? He does. And how long are we here for? Who's, is anybody here 100 years old? Anybody feel 100 years old? <laughs> Man, even if 100 years, that's nothing compared to eternity. So even if we had the most miserable life possible for the whole time we're here, Romans 8, 17, I think it is. It's Romans 8. He says the sufferings of this life, the worst things this life have to offer are nothing compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us one day. Forever and ever and ever. We're going to forget about the worst things that ever happened here. So Joseph got that. Joseph got that, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to keep going. And you know what? He didn't give up. He's out there, and he gets arrested. So how does he act in prison now? What is he doing he's in prison? Yeah, still worshiping God, still being obedient. How do we know that? Because what, what happens to him? He now all of a sudden becomes the head guy in prison, taking care of everything, because God was grooming him for leadership. It just he didn't expect to go to college in prison. <laughs> that was not where he expected to learn it all was there. But that was God's plan. And so you remember, Andrew, he met two guys there after he'd been there a little while. He met a butler and a baker. All right. And those guys had got thrown in because they displeased the king. They displeased the, the head dude, Pharaoh. Right. And and so they came to him and said, uh, Hey, man, you know, they were talking about dreams and Joseph's like, oh, I know about dreams. <laughs> what happened the last time he talked about his dreams? <laughs> How many of y'all would be like, oh, dude, I know about dreams. <laughs> it's like, wouldn't you think that would be the last thing you would say? You're like dreams, get away from me. I don't want nothing to do with that again. But you know what? I got to believe Joseph was still remembering his dreams. Somehow, some way, God was still going to use him for leadership in some magnificent way. Somehow, somehow, God can use him to save his family like, like he had seen in the dream. But it didn't look like it at all. And it wasn't going to happen unless he kept following God because he wasn't going to be able to do it in his own power and strength and resources. So what does he do? He keeps following and the baker and butler have dreams and he walks up to them. Hey, guys, I, I know about dreams. And they're telling me your dreams. And so they told him the dreams and one of the guys, the, the butler, he said, oh, yeah, man, Pharaoh's just ticked off, and he's going to restore you. In three days, he's going to restore you. And by the way, when he restores you, will you tell him about me? And the guy's like, absolutely, great news. I'm not going to be killed. He's, I'm going to be restored. Joseph, I will tell him everything about you. When's your birthday? How tall are you? What do you, you know, everything about you. The guy promised all that. And then he goes to the baker, and he's like, yeah, dude, you're going to die three days. <laughs> and so he told the truth in that. And sure enough, that's happened. And the butler got out. And did the butler remember him? No. no. No, dude. How would you feel? You have been a good sport. How many of y'all feel as a Christian? I have been a good sport up to this point, God. <laughs> Matthew, would you say that? Matthew, would you say that? God, look, in your prayers. I, there's two Matthews right there. These guys right there. Bookends. Uh, I, I, I've been a good sport, God. This is getting kind of old. Or how many of you might have the wisdom to see this is by God's design? You know, if you're not seeing life from God's perspective, you'd never be able to see that this is by God's design. You'd be seeing 
that earthly outlook instead of the heavenly uplook. You'd be looking at a horizontal view instead of a vertical view and knowing that God's got it all under control. And Joseph kept knowing God's got a plan. God's got a plan. God's got a plan. And my job is to continue to follow him. So guess what? Joseph is in prison now. And does anybody remember how long it was until the butler remembered what he had promised Joseph? Five years. No, it was two years. Hey, let me ask you a question. What were you doing two years ago? Jack, what were you doing two years ago? No clue. Al, two years ago? Two days ago. Two days ago, yeah, dude. Two days is a long time, bro. Two years ago. You know how long ago that was? How many of you could stay faithful when God hasn't really been doing anything super special and hadn't really been giving you great direct revelation? There hadn't even been anything happening in your life except a normal mundane walk for two years and you're in prison. You could, Lord? Yeah, you have. I've watched you. Absolutely. That walk sometimes, that mundane walk, walking in the spirit where you're just in that everyday walk for a long time is some of the hardest places. It's one of the hardest places to be. It's one of the hardest places, but just keep walking. Just keep following because God's got a plan and nobody can mess his plan up. He is sovereign. And so Joseph, man, two years, he's still doing the best he can in there. And all of a sudden, what happens? Pharaoh has a... A dream. All right, first of all, how many of y'all be sick of dreams by now? It's, you got burned twice by dreams. So all of a sudden, they come in. Pharaoh's like, has a dream. And, and, and his butler says, oh, dude, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, two years ago. I remember there was a guy. Oh, and I was supposed to tell him about you. But let me ask you a question. What would happen if the butler would have told the Pharaoh about Joseph two years ago? Would it have been as crucial to Pharaoh as it was two years later when he had his dream? So whose timing is better, ours or God's? Wow. Do you understand? God was just waiting for this to happen. God's like, hold on, Joseph. I'm giving you grace. I'm going to give you. You just keep following me because in two years, how many of y'all will be saying, God, speed it up a little? Maybe a, two, two weeks, two days, yeah. But two years, but God's timing was perfect to set it all up. And Joseph stayed faithful. By the way, what does faithful mean? It means you are full of faith. Yeah. Faithful isn't your actions like, oh, I'm just doing it. Faithful means you are full of faith. And if you are faithful to God, you are full of faith in who? So you're faithful. You're full of faith in his timing. You're full of faith in his resources. You're full of faith in everything he's got going on. And that's what, that's what he admires. The only thing he's ever admired about a person. When Jesus was on this earth, the only thing he ever said good about people, that he ever bragged on somebody for was their what? Faith. Their faith. Yeah. Because that's something that he gave them that they chose to use. And so Joseph stayed faithful in all of this. And so Joseph... Basically, all of a sudden now, they come in, they're like, oh, yeah, hey, the head dude, Pharaoh, has a dream. All right, how many of y'all be running now? <laughs> a dream, okay. First dream got me in a, in, a, in a pit. Second dream, you know, got me, uh, got me here two years by myself. Third dream, Pharaoh's here. But Joseph was seeing things from God's perspective. And so they cleaned Joseph up, and he went to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh told him his dream. You guys remember the dream at all? Anybody remember the dream? It's kind of a crazy agricultural dream. 
That was the cows. That was one of them. There was, there was, there was, there was, there was wheat and there was cows. Let's just do the cow one. What happened? The, seven big fat cows, and then all of a sudden, what happened? Yeah, seven scrawny little cows came up. So you got these big, huge cows, and then you got these little scrawny cows. And now, who in normal circumstances would eat who? Yeah, you would think, oh, yeah, big deal, big one. But Pharaoh freaked out because the little scrawny cows ate the big cows, and they didn't get no bigger. How many of y'all like that diet plan? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so, so, so that Pharaoh's like kind of freaking out, thinking, hmm, what's going on here? And so Joseph tells him, and where did Joseph get the answer to this dream from, by the way? So let me ask a question. Has Joseph blown God off for two years while God, he felt like God blew him off for two years? Not a chance. Man, while you are walking through that mundane situation where you don't think anything's happening and nothing's going on, that's the time. Stay faithful. Stay in God's word. Stay in prayer. Stay in that relationship because you don't want to miss it. It wasn't like all of a sudden Joseph was a heathen. Now all of a sudden he's going to answer on God's behalf. Oh, yeah, God, hey, uh, you remember me? I'm Joseph. Tell me what. No, dude, he's had that relationship. People ask me all the time because I talk about hearing from God. I said, man, God told me to do this, or God spoke and did this. God doesn't speak to me audibly, but he speaks to me through his word. And the Holy Spirit that lives inside me tells me what that is, which is what he promises that he's going to do. He's going to teach me everything that, that I'll ever need to know about anything that God's going to allow me to go through. Go read the last half of the book of John, and you'll see the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And that's how God speaks to us. And people say, how do you hear? How do you hear? How do you hear? Well, I can hear better now than I could hear 20 years ago because I've been listening, because I've been listening and I've been listening. And then if I revert back again, I got to start over again, hearing his voice, hearing his voice. That's one reason that I want to stay faithful and keeps me from sin sometimes. And I am by no means perfect. But one of the re when I have a choice to sin or not. One of my reasons for not sinning is, God, I don't want to lose touch with you. I don't want to, I, I want to be able to hear you as clear as I can ever hear you because, man, life is important. And so Joseph had had that relationship going on with God. And so, man, when he needed to hear from God, it's like, okay, God, what do we do now? All right, God, yeah, okay, I've been serving this drink. I've been doing this. I've been serving this prisoner. I've been doing this. God says, serve this guy. I've been doing it. And now Pharaoh comes. Is it any different serving Pharaoh through God than serving prisoners through God? No. There's no difference at all. So it was just the next step for Joseph. He's like, okay, God, what do I do with Pharaoh? Knowing that Pharaoh is the most important person in the universe at that point in time, aside from God, he wasn't scared. He was like, okay, what's this the next step God wants me to do? So here's the dream. says, God wasn't mean. He said, okay, well, there's going to be seven good years. And you're going to have, like, abundance. Now, what do most of us do when we have abundance? Yeah. Woo! When, our, when our, 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 our level of living goes, uh, you know, we, we, if we started making more, we'd spend more. How many of y'all do that? You make more, you spend more? <laughs> right? Do you save more? <laughs> Maybe some of you are. Maybe half of you in a relationship because one of you is a spender and one's a saver. Do y'all find that? The one of you is a saver and one's a spender? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. See, my, that's good. That's good. Because in my relationship, I'm the spender. My wife's the saver. And if we spent like my wife spends, we'd have nothing. 
because we buy nothing. But if we spent only like I spend, we'd have nothing. <laughs> so it takes both of us working together to come up, and, and, and we have everything we need, although sometimes it feels like nothing. But then we look at it from God's perspective and realize we have everything we need. So in this, there's the dream. And so Joseph says there's going to be seven just bountiful years, man. And they could have just been having parties all the time, but he said, but then, Pharaoh, there's going to be seven really lean years. And Pharaoh's like, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? And Joseph said, I got an idea. Where did Joseph get his idea from? God. And what did God say to do? God told Joseph to tell Pharaoh. He said, hey, for seven fat years, eat what you normally eat, but start saving and putting it away and putting it away for those seven lean years. And guess what happened? After the seven good years, then it, it sure enough, it came about. And when everybody was now in famine except for Egypt, who had to come to Egypt to be able to eat? We're skipping way forward in the story, but yeah, Jacob and his brothers. And they didn't know Joseph was the Pharaoh. And they now came and ended up, finally Joseph revealed himself how he had saved his family and asked Pharaoh, can we now bring my family here to Egypt? And that's how Israel got to Egypt. One little nut named Joseph. <laughs> how many of you are one little nut again? One little nut. Don't you ever think. You may be in obscurity wondering, why am I in this grind? Why am I in this grind? Just make sure that you do the best you can with what you've got all the time. And you're doing it for the glory of God. You're seeing it from his perspective. You're giving him glory because you have no idea where it's all going to end up. But he's using it. Hey, let me ask you a question. According to the book of Ephesians, when did he, um, how long has he had plans for your life planned out? <laughs> yeah, dude, for a long time. Before he ever even created the world, he had it all planned out for you. And, and is it good or bad? It's good. He created you for that. If you don't follow him, man, you're never going to be content until you do what God's created you to do. You're never going to be content until you get to do what he's created you to do. You're never going to do what he created you to do until you start following him unconditionally. Not following him and saying, oh, carnally, that don't look like it's going to work out. I'm going to back up. You just got to plow forward and keep following. And man, it's awesome when that happens. So Joseph was able to bring all of Egypt in, uh, all of his family into Egypt. And how many people did they bring in? Do you remember? Seventy. That somewhere later we'll see in Paul's sermon it was like seventy-five earlier. We were saying, but it's about seventy people they brought in. Okay. And so what happens then? They bring seventy people in. They're living high off the hog. Everything's going good. And listen, Egypt was uh, was a very racially divided, very prejudiced kind of community. Egypt, you know, they shaved all their hair because they just wanted to be as clean as clean could be. They were like neat freaks, the Egyptians were. And they didn't even want shepherds or anybody around them. Well, what did God make all of the Israelites? Shepherds and herdsmen. And so basically, why would God bring the Israelites to a place where they would be pre have prejudice against them? Why would God do something like that? What's that? For his glory, but why? Why would God, what would happen if you had all this land and as Egyptians, you're, you know, like prissy little cats and all of a sudden he brings a whole herd of pigs in? What's going to happen to the whole herd of pigs? Is it so the pigs can make the cats into pigs? Not this time, but 
What are you going to do if you're if you're if you're those prissy little pit cats? What are you going to do with the pigs? You're going to shove them in a corner somewhere and not want anything to do with them. You see what God's doing here? So God took the Egyptians and he brought, he brought, they were number one at the time, and he brought the Israelites in, and because of their dirtiness and, and what they did, they got isolated over in a corner where nobody was going to bother them. And they went from about 70 people to how many? Over a million. Yeah, at this point, at, at the next point in the story, over a million. And, 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 and by the time they left, they had two million. And so all of a sudden one day there's a new pharaoh that wanted, that kind of took political control and he looks over and says, who are all those people? Holy smoke, there's a couple, there's more of them than there are us. We better, we better take control of those guys. And so because if we don't, they're going to take control over us. They went from 70 to almost 2 million. So God put them in an obscure place where they could grow. And, and, and what kind of, what were they doing over, the, over those 400 years that they were there. They were doing hard physical work. So you know what they were doing? Their stock was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. They were becoming more muscular. They were on a 400-year workout plan. <laughs> Literally. That's what they were doing. And at some point, Pharaoh said, what are they doing? So Pharaoh says, we're going to make them into slaves. In other words, they started out doing beach body, you know, and, and you know, I, I don't know. I'm not making it funny, but they were starting to do that. But then God said, hmm, they're not going to be ready. I don't think they're going to be ready by the time it's time for them to leave. So Pharaoh put in the heart, or God put in the heart of Pharaoh to, to drive them even harder and get jealous and want to make them into slaves so he could beat them into submission. But was that God's plan that they got beat into submission? No. Dude, now they were beach body crossfitters. They're chunking tires, man. And so they went from one level of fitness to another level of fitness. And by the time they left, 430 years later, they were not scrawny little scaredy, you know, Israelites. They were, they could chunk cows around, man. Yeah, that's what they flipped instead of tires. And, you know, imagine prehistoric, uh, prehistoric CrossFit, <laughs> you know, that's what. So as slaves, was God being mean to them when he made them slaves? Was that God's purpose to punish them? How about if you were made a slave? Would you think God was like mad at you? Would you think he was ticked? Would you think you were in trouble? Or how many of you would have the wisdom from seeing things from God's perspective to be able to believe that's God's plan for your life and he's making you stronger? I don't know that I'm there, <laughs> being honest with you, but we have the story to remind us of that. So they were on a 430-year workout plan so that when it was time for them to leave, where were they going to go? Where were they going to go first? When God did all the plagues to finally show how strong he was, way stronger than all the Egyptian gods, which we can preach on another time, and finally they get to leave. When they finally leave, where were they going? Did they get there right away? So where did they start? Where did they go for the first year? Out in the wilderness. If I took all of you guys right now and, and all of us just went out in the wilderness, how many of y'all would make it? Without air conditioning, okay? Without, well, let's go out in the wilderness. Are you guys ready for that? No, because that's not where you're going. But some of us could dig it, right, Jack, man? Country boy can't survive. Shotgun, a rifle, and a four-wheel drive. <laughs> that's but, that's Hank Williams Jr., that great philosopher there. But anyways, but what I'm saying, man, is, 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 is they had to be prepared to go out in the wilderness. 
And let me ask you another question. Once they got out into the wilderness, a year later, that, Carl, what happened the first month of the second year that they were there? Yeah, well, they were always complaining for the beginning, but, but you remember, that's the book of Leviticus. That's where God was going to teach them how to worship. And at the end, they're, they're building a tabernacle. Anybody ever look at the dimensions of the tabernacle? What kind of things did they need in mass quantities to build a tabernacle? They needed gold. They were going to make a lampstand that weighed 75 pounds made from one single piece of gold. How do you like to wear that bling on your neck? You know what I'm saying? 75 pounds. Everything was going to be acacia wood overlaid with gold. They were going to have to have fine woven linen to go and make it all around the whole tabernacle. Where in the world would these primitive people learn how to make fine woven Egyptian linen? Oh, I started putting on. You ever buy, buy sheets? Y'all ever buy sheets? And it's like, oh, Egyptian cotton. Dude, they've been good at this for a while. Well, you know who did it for them forever? It was the Israelites. And so, man, they were on the job training for 430 years. And let me ask you a question. The ones in the first 100 years, did they ever get paid? No. The ones in the second 100 years, did they get paid? The third year. Uh, when did they finally get paid? When they left. When they left. And, and God put it in the hearts because of the plagues and the fear of God that any all give man give rings give your earrings give your necklaces when the Egypt when the Israelites left the Egyptians loaded them up they gave them 430 years worth of pay so that when God said this is how I want you to worship me they could build the building they could build the tabernacle they could the, the tent I should say so how, how are they going to live where they get supplies to live out in the wilderness. Yeah. Well, until he started dropping manna, man, everything they needed, they got from the Egyptians, so they didn't get paid till the end. How many of y'all realize God doesn't always pay on Fridays? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? But how many of you know that he pays? He always makes it worth it. It's not about that. It's about surrender and just doing what God has asked you to do. And quit trying to figure out where it all ends. It ain't like a pirate treasure map. You're trying to get to the end. You know what? We already know the end. Where is it all going to end for us? Heaven. You already got the answer to that. Man, quit worrying about that. Just keep following. When he took the disciples, what did he say to them with brand new fishing boats and nets and a new business? What did he say to those guys? Follow me. Did they say, well, you got to, you know, let's talk to my dad about the five-year business plan, the 10-year, because we have to compare it to this one right here. No, what did they do? They got up and followed, and that's what you see is the pattern in the Bible. God takes a little nut that realizes, they don't realize how important they are. How important was that little nut on that skateboard? Crucial! As soon as you went to turn backside, brother, that wheel would have slid right off. That nut was crucial. Man, you're crucial in God's plan. But guess what? Zane, if you're not going to be that little nut, does that mean nobody's going to ride a skateboard? No, it just means you don't get to be that little nut. You're that little nut that sits in the drawer. And guess what he'll do? He'll take you, bro. And if you're willing to do it and you won't do it, he'll take you. He'll keep going until he finds someone who's going to be that little nut. God's plan is going on. We just have the privilege of whether or not we're going to be a part of it or not. I don't know about you, man. There ain't a lot of jobs for little nuts. <laughs> but this is one I'm telling you is guaranteed. You want to join me in this? All we got to do is surrender and obey.
So go back to this real quick. The God of this nation of Israel, no, go back over there. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow strong during their stay in Egypt. That 430 year workout plan, they went from 70 to 2 million by the time they left. Did any of them have any idea? When Joseph's sitting in a pit waiting to see how his brothers were going to kill him, did he have any idea God had a, he was a part of something that big? And you know what happens at the end of this message that Paul preaches? This is the first verse. We, for those of you who don't come back but once a year, we may still be in this, this little sermon from Paul next year when we come back. It just depends how fast Holy Spirit takes us through, but I just thought it was so important for us to see this today. Joseph had no idea, and he had no idea how important his part was in bringing the Messiah, the Savior of the universe, in. Now, it didn't come through his line. It actually came through one of his scoundrel brothers, which is a whole other story. But look at this. When then with a powerful arm, he led them out of slavery, and he kept leading them. But I just, again, want you to see that Joseph was just a little nut. He was a little piece of something way bigger than him. So often today, I think we gotta, we got to know what the bigger plan is before we volunteer to be that little part of it. Because we have been misled. We live in a world that we can't trust. There's nothing we can trust. This whole world is a lie. From man to media, it's all a lie. But the only truth we have is the Word of God and what God is showing us. And God says that if you will seek first, seek only, seek always the kingdom of God, letting Him be your king and do the right thing, He said everything you need will be added unto you. I don't know where you're at right now. I don't know if you're like Joseph and you're right in the middle of leading all of Egypt and you don't even know which way is what. I don't know if you're like Joseph in the pit or those two years in prison where you're wondering, what the heck are you doing, God? But wherever you're at, remember, you're just a little nut that has, is part of something way bigger. And just stay faithful. And faithful doesn't mean you keep going through the motions in your own strength. That's what it's going to look like. What faithful means is you stay full of faith in God Almighty, knowing he's got this whole thing under control. And you just like a little bird, man. I'm going to leave you this because this is what God is. Man, somebody's going to remember this their whole life. Man, you're, you're like a little bird in a nest, man. And, and every morning when you wake up, you're going, peep, 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 peep. What do you want me to do, God? What do you got for me now? And God is like that mama bird. He's gone and collected worms, and he's chewed them up and regurgitated them. He's ready to spit them in your mouth. No. <laughs> How many of y'all going to remember that? <laughs> but yeah, if you're a bird, do you want Wheaties? Do you want Cheerios? What do you want if you're a bird? You do nothing better than some chewed up regurgitated worm from mama. But if you're a believer, what do you want? More than anything else in the world, you're a believer. You just want God to give you your marching orders and just do it. What do you want me now? do now, God? And do it. And you just keep following. So be like that little bird, man. Be that little nut. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for giving us your word. Because, Father, we're bombarded with lies. You even, Jesus even told us... Um, in the last days, and we don't know how long these last days last. We know we're in them. But the one thing Jesus said over and over and over is do not be deceived. 
Because when we get deceived, we get distracted and we don't keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus and following Him. So Father, help us not get distracted. Help us just dive in and stay focused on the truth and count on You speaking to us and giving us direction and telling us what You want us to do. Father, if we've got no new direction, it must mean as long as it follows with Scripture, we're doing the right thing. Father, if we don't know what to do, help us do what we know to do and just keep being faithful in doing it and not in the motions, but being full of faith in you, knowing that if we need to do something else, you can make that happen. So, Father, thank you for where you put each of us right now. As the master of the lampstand, help us see that you've got us right where you want us. Father, thank you for this encouragement out of this. and. Um, Father, I can't wait to see what comes in the rest of this message from Paul. But this is what we're supposed to see today. So, Father, I just pray that everyone would see that you got a want ad out for little nuts. And we all qualify. And we know that we can be a part of something way bigger than us. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me share this real super quick. Um, if uh, you're not sure, you've never given your life to Christ and you're not sure that when you die you're going to heaven, um, you can be sure. The, the Word of God says that, that we're all sinners. We've all done something wrong. None of us have done everything right. And it says the wages, what we earn by being a sinner, is we've earned eternal separation from God. But it also says in that same verse in Romans 6.23 that, that the gift of God, is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The difference between wages, what you earn in your, from your sin, which is separation, and a gift that is free is eternal life with God. Hey, if um, I know it might not be worth a whole lot right now, but if I wanted to give you my wallet, John, what would you have to do for it to be yours? I'd have to possess it. You'd have to just take it, right? That's all you'd have to do is take it. But if you didn't take it, and I chased you around your whole life with this wallet, saying, take it, take it, take it, and you never took it, would it be yours? No. But once you took it, if I said, all right, John, now that you got it, I didn't tell you the other stipulation. You're going to have to, you know, clean my big toe. <laughs> Just under the nail, that's it. Just under the nail, that's all. Uh, would that be a gift anymore? No, I, no, it'd be conditional. It might even be a good deal. It might be. But, but, yeah, but it wouldn't be a gift. For it to be a gift, all you got to do is take it, bro. And that's the gift that's offered to you, man. If you have the desire, then you have the ability to surrender your life to Christ. You just got to do it. Because you don't know when God quits chasing you. But that desire that you have right now, if you have it, it's not guaranteed to be there forever. He says it's like the wind. You don't know when it's coming. You don't know when it's leaving. But you know when it's there. So take it. And you won't be sorry. I guarantee you. And then you can follow. You can't follow without that first. It comes to surrender.